This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for deciding to spend some time with us here. I'm going to be chatting to Michael Arterbury, who is a master encourager and a dynamic motivational speaker. In 2008, Michael founded the Youth Voices Centre, which is a non-profit, and the mission of this is to help young people to become active, productive members of society by overcoming their obstacles, their history, their stereotypes, and even their own self-image and limiting beliefs. Now, we talk a lot about exactly what it is to create an environment for children to learn, and I think understanding how your story can be moulded into a way of creating your own life in a, in a positive way is such an important conversation and that's exactly what we're going to be having today. Now we talk on the show about Michael's book and actually his book is now available free of charge you just have to cover the shipping cost and we're going to have a link to this on the show notes so if you go to educationonfire.com forward slash 156 that'll take you direct to that page and you'll be able to click on that link and go through and sign up and get hold of his book absolutely free of charge just with the handling cost to pay. You would have heard me mention on the last couple of episodes, I did an interview with Beth Tweddle for the NAPE podcast, that's the National Association for Primary Education, and she has a new physical literacy programme out, which is something which you should really try and inquire about and certainly get on board for the next academic year. And you can listen to that by a link which I'm going to put on the show notes for this episode as well. So if you go to, again, to educationonfire.com forward slash 156 we'll have links straight to the website there and you can take a listen but this is my interview with Michael Arterbury talking about his program in schools and his book Be Encouraged 250 Days of Motivation and Encouragement. Hi Michael thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast and one of my really big things and passions is actually all about being able to support children in their whole life in in the ways that they may get in school but they may not and I think the conversation we're going to have today is going to be really interesting about what we can do to support children as a whole um, around all those sorts of things so thanks so much for being here and uh, I thank you for having me yes I'm very excited to get this opportunity so why don't we start with the book be encouraged 250 days of motivation and encouragement T- tell us a little bit about that and I'm really interested about the, the why the 250 Oh, okay. So, um, what happened was, is, uh, you know, I have what I call kind of my study time in the morning. You know, I believe in my, my spirit, body, and mind are three things that I kind of live by to keep me balanced. And so in the morning I have my spiritual time. And after I'm finished with my spiritual time, I write, uh, sort of a synopsis of what I feel like I got out of that time, my alone time. And then I post it on, um, my, my social medias. Now I'm telling you this because I did it for uh, a few years and a woman got cancer and she left me a message and she said that, um, it would be really nice if I could get all of these in one place. And so when she's mentioned that to me, I said, wow, you know what, let me put it in a book. And so what I did is I took it. Um, I had a bunch of them cause years and years of posting, and I got the 250 of my favorites um, and I put it into a book and I dedicated to the woman who has, has now passed on. Um, I dedicated the book to her. 
Um, but I did 250 days because it's devotional style. You pick a page and you read it. But if you put dates on it, people have a tendency that if today's June, whatever, and they miss the day, they won't read the page. So I said, let's make it 250 days so that they wouldn't get caught up on the dates. But it's a page per day. And that page is to inspire and push you to be the best person and the best version of yourself for that day and for life in general. I love that. I love the whole sense of, of the, setting your day up. I think it's such an important thing just to to get the most out of yourself or to allow yourself to have the best possible day with as least sort of friction and um, and baggage that you may have brought from either your sleep or, or from the day before. And, and I would imagine that this book must have come with a lot of love in as much as you had all this content anyway, you had all these things and you're just pulling it together. And so did it really feel like you were just sort of basically putting your arms around something which was so integral to your life anyway? Yes, it was, you know, to be quite honest, Mark, very therapeutic. You know, um, I came through a tumultuous growing up teenagers and, you know, my dad was a, a raging alcoholic. He raged from the time I was born until he died when I was 16. I grew up in poverty you know, parents both working full time. Mom's a housekeeper, but my dad's money's going to drinking. So she raised four kids with just a housekeeping salary, you know, grew up with a lot of dysfunction, you know, with an alcoholic dad. And so navigating through life was 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 difficult, but not difficult. And so the 250 pages is a compilation of those feelings um, kind of regurgitated not to be gross. Um, on a page to show people that no matter what you go through in life, if you look at it from the proper perspective, you can find something or a silver lining in every one of your situations that you endure. And I think that's so incredibly important for everybody listening. And I think specifically, if you're in the early parts of your life, or I guess if you're if you're struggling in certain things anyway, but just that sense that you may not know what's going on. It's it's not the life you imagine, or maybe it's not the life that you think it should be, or or you feel there's something extra or more or different that is somewhere in your in your being that you you think you are here to be. And I think when you hear other people talking about challenges that they've had and the fact that their life has completely changed around, then I think you can't help but be connected to something in you that believes that that can be the case. Yes, yes. And you know what? People misunderstand uh, that, Mark, they have control to do it. You know, when I'm working with young people and adults and when they start to really get the gist of what I'm trying to teach, you know, you feel like all the things that happen around you just happen and they're out of your control. And once you get a grip and an understanding that you can actually be the one that's pushing what's going on, um, it's empowering. So, you know, it's it's not that you sit and, and allow life to happen to you. You go after life and you make it happen to the benefit that you want. So let's explore that a little bit. Tell us how you, you work through that, both in terms of your speaking and, and how you, when you're actually working with, with teens and adults. You know, what I do is I, I, the first thing that I like to do is start with affirmation. So, I like to talk about the fact that um, we have to be careful of the negative words that we say to ourselves, but not only the words that we say to ourselves, but the words that other people say to us. 
And what I mean by that is the fact that, again, talking about being in control, that you have the ability to either hold on to a thought or get rid of it. And if you don't get rid of it, it'll plant itself and germinate like a seed and it grows. And then I also explain in that process is that if you allow the negative thoughts and what people say to you to control you, I use a tag that it's being, I say that you need to be the driver of your car and not the passenger of your car. And what I mean by that is I feel like when we go through life, you know, we step on landmines and damage occurs. You don't blow up, but damage occurs and you start to structure your life around the damage rather than what's going on in the immediate in your life. So you went through something at like five, it was traumatic, you got through it, but from five on, you're actually structuring your life from that five-year-old damage. And so your life becomes unbalanced and out of step because it's not, um, it's not reflective of the now, it's reflective of the past. And tell us a little bit about how you go about doing that letting go. There's sort of two things that just struck me as you were talking. One is the fact that, like you say, so many people keep from that understanding and, and that place. Um, and my so, so my first question for that is, can you just change that immediately if you're aware of these things before it occurs? I mean, lots of people find help and guidance, obviously, when they're feeling pain or they feel like they want to change their life. But I think part of our job and, and 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 our understanding is to actually teach children to understand the concept of this even before they might even need it and like you say the landmine idea i love in the fact it might be a small thing or it might be a big thing but if you understand that it's there to begin with then you can structure your thoughts and and change your life from just that immediate understanding right right so you can you can um the only thing about being proactive with that type of teaching is um the damage that that landmine's going to cause, it's kind of hard to kind of set yourself up and prepare for it. But I'll tell you, I'll answer your question on how I help the teenagers do it, is I run them through a two-day, I have high schoolers for two full days. So it's, it's very intense. And what I do during the two days is I run them through experiential exercises that causes them to have dialogue to bring up their history, but I'm not asking it um, where it's uncomfortable. So it's an activity. I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna give you an example, Mark, so that it'll be uh, more, so you can really hand, you know, hold on to it. But so, like one of the activities that I do, I call it concentric circles. And so I'll put the students. Let me back up a little bit. So I want you to see this room clearly. When I go into a school, I ask for a cross-section of students. So there's about 30 students in my room, and I want a cross-section. So I want white, black, Latino, honor roll student, jock, every type of student in that group of 30. You know what I mean? And so when they come in, they're a group that really doesn't really hang out together. So part of my goal is not only for them to get to know each know themselves, on a deeper level, but I also want them to start to break down barriers with students that they would not normally hang out with. So I just wanna set that up before I set this activity up. So then I do this activity I call concentric circles. So there's an inside circle and an outside circle. Um, and I have them answer five questions and I rotate them five times to speak to five different people. The first question is a person or people I respect and why I respect them. 
The second one is qualities that I look for in a friend and why those qualities. The third question is, if I had the power to change something in the world, what would it be and why? The fourth question is, um, a time that someone hurt you that you most trusted. And the fifth question is, a time that you lost someone that you really cared about. So they talk to a partner for a minute. I rotate them. You know what I mean? Um, and then I, I, I pull them out into the circle. And the first thing I do, just to give you a gist of the activity, is I ask, do they feel the change in the room? And instantly they feel a change in the room because the essence of the room changes because when they came into the room, they looked around the circle and everybody was just a face. But after they go through these five questions, now each one of the faces become people. And that's part of breaking down the barriers. But when we talk about getting into our story, even those, those five questions are very, very basic. If you start talking about landmines and walking through your life and starting to self-reflect, what I'm doing is getting them to a place where they start to go back through their story and they'll start trying to find those little jewels. And every time they find one, and of course I'm hearing it as the facilitator, I make sure that I put it in my pocket and each time that I get an opportunity, I bring them back, I bring them back. And as we go through the two days, the activities are built that way, that it's casual conversation but they end up pulling from their manual, their life stories as a catalyst to learn. And I love the fact that it comes from them. And, and that's the most important thing, isn't it? Because everything is related to you. It's your experiences. It's your understanding. It's your situation, which whether you like it or want to change it or whatever that happens to be, you can only relate it to you. And I think I, I also love that. Um, the essence of what you said about everyone then becoming a person and I've heard that a few times over the years as I've been doing the podcast now that it's those personal connections the fact that you understand something different about someone else that you can reflect on but often that you can empathize with or that you can connect with in a way that you didn't before like you said because most of these people wouldn't have actually had that conversation so they there's no way they could have done it before right exactly and you know I'm called into a lot of these schools because you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, looking at what's going on in the world right now, but um, they have that in schools on a smaller scale. So, you know, it's it's kind of ironic that we're seeing what's going on on the television, but I've been doing the work over the last years. As long as I've been doing my program, my program is based on breaking down the barriers. I get called into schools because they have racial divides. And what happens is these young people start to realize you know what I mean? That because you are of a different race, you know, we, 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 we have so many things that are more similar um, than different. You know, I, you know, I'll take like the addicts. So, you know, you'll have a, a kid from the ghettos where their parent can be um, a crack addict, a synthetic drug addict, whereas the rich, um, you know, Caucasian students parent may be a cocaine addict. You know, they're both addicts, two different drugs, but the process of addiction and how it affects the house is similar. So when they both start to project their stories, they're looking at each other and they're saying, all right, she's rich, I'm poor, but our stories have some consistency because, you know, we're not so much different. We are somewhat the same. And at the very beginning of this process, as you described before, do you get much resistance or because of, like I said, the, the questions are, are 
basic in the essence to begin with. There's enough comfort in there that they're able to get the ball moving without too much friction. You know, what I do, Mark, to disarm them is they come into the circle and uh, the first thing I do is I unveil everything about myself. And I'm talking about pretty much I tell them growing up in an alcoholic home, I show them a picture of the house that I grew up in. I explain how difficult it was living there. I explain all the horrors. And then after I do that, I show a picture of the home that I live in now. And I explain to them, I show, you know, the pictures are side by side. And I explain that in between these pictures was something that we call life. And this is the man now, but that was the boy. And I say that because immediately by me unveiling and giving up myself first, it almost gives them the freedom and the liberty to say, you know what? I trust this guy. It's not like he's asking me these questions. He's already told me his story. And so it, it warms him up. I mean, I, I've been doing it since 2008. And, you know, let's knock on some wood. Once I do that, you can see them all settle and ease in. And they just find opportunities to dive deeper in their stories because I've unveiled and I've stepped out behind the curtain before I even asked them to do so. And can I just ask, take us a little bit into the, into that story. You say 2008 is kind of when all that started to sort of come together. Was it a light bulb moment? Was it something you always knew you were going to do? You know, was it a meandering path that got you there? Tell us a little bit about that journey. Um, to develop the program, you mean, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what happened was is I um always had a gift with kids. So, like, if I worked at a day camp, I had a good relationship with kids, and I would get the difficult kid in my group, and I was able to kind of bring them into authority, and they enjoyed me. So imagine growing up, I had that that glimpse of what I'm good at. But then I went off to college to be a social worker. So I took my gift. I went to college. I became a social worker. And then when I got out of college, I worked for nonprofit agencies with teenagers. And they would give me, they would buy a curriculum. First of all, they wouldn't ask me. It's not like they would ask me first, like, hey, listen, let's sit down Let's get this curriculum, something that you can work with with the teenagers. They would go purchase a curriculum off of online, um, bring it to me, and then want me to facilitate it. And then when I would facilitate it and it was unsuccessful, they would, I would be in trouble. You know, hey, you know, I gave you this curriculum. The kids are not responding. You must be doing something wrong. So what I did is I said, you know what, I'm tired of being given these curriculums that do not work. And so what I did is I took some ideas that I had, um, I penned them, put them on paper, and then I went to my job and said, listen, I have this thing, I will do it for you, but you have to pay me a salary. And so I went to the first job, well, the job that I was at when I created it, um, I started doing it for them, and it started to gain so much success that my, my boss, I don't know what she was thinking about. She showed me what money I was bringing into the agency, not realizing the salary she paid. me. And so she, um, you know, when I realized it, I'm like, holy cow, you know, I'm making this little salary, but you're making all this money. And so, you know, one day they took me to a philanthropist, this woman to get more money. Um, and I went with them on this meeting. I was there only to 
schmooze and and talked about the accolades of the program. Um, And me and this woman connected. And after I came out of that meeting, I met with her a few times after the after the meeting. um, And she finally realized that it was my program and not the agency's program. And she pulled me out, Mark. She she pulled me out, sponsored me. And um, for about eight years, she gave me a, a large amount of money to go out and do my program. And unfortunately, unfortunately, she died about four years ago. And so it's been tough when you run a nonprofit and you're working with youth. You know, I have to try to find grants within the schools and try to find other philanthropists to buy into my dream. But for the first eight years, I I didn't have to um, I didn't have to beg or anything. She gave me a large amount of money. And since then, you know, I work in schools that have grants and every so often I'll get some monies from someone that just is um, behind my message. And that's how it grew to what it is today. And I think it's really important, isn't it, to to understand that there are people out there that can believe in you and the gifts that you have. And and I, I love the fact that that connection that she saw in you and, and the and the relationship that you built took you somewhere where you wouldn't have realized that. You know, that wasn't why you were there. It wasn't the situation that you thought you were in. But actually, there was some sort of d- divine sort of um, coming together, which then just enabled you know you to affect so many people in so many positive ways. Yes, yes. And divine is a good word because that's exactly what it was, Mark. It was divine. Yeah, I'm I'm a spiritual man. It was it was it was totally ordained. It was set up. It was perfect. It was perfect. She was my guardian angel and she just stepped down and uh you know she she gave me the ability to to walk out. You know, you hear so many people who create programs like my own and their biggest challenge is, is you know, getting it to be a nonprofit because that costs money in itself. Um, and then the ability of getting into enough places to pilot it so that people can see how good it is. So that by the time she left me, I had already established myself. So, you know, yes, yes, definitely it was divine. And it was a beautiful connection that, that you know, to this day I, I see over 2,500 students per year. And do you find that sort of group of 30 is the, is the best way to do it? You know, it's large enough to have the safety, but small enough to have the intimacy, or are you able to expand it into a more of a kind of a lecture theatre idea or a hall idea? Does that still work, or is it the fact you don't have as much personal connection that um, dilutes it in some way? So what I do, so, so imagine I go into a school most schools will buy a package of six sessions. So five sessions will be 30 students in each session. The sixth session will be what I call my level two, where they come back for two more days, but that's to allow them to get more of the experience. But then also they become co-facilitators because also a school brings me in with the intentions of us doing this for several years. So imagine once I come in the first year, I do five workshops, 30 kids in each one. The the second, the sixth workshop are kids that come back. They become co-facilitators. So they co-facilitate my new groups the following year when I come in with a fresh succession. But what I do, Mark, to make sure, because I'm in a school and I'm only doing it 30 kids at a time, is I do an assembly before I start to recruit my students. And I do that so that I I establish and I allow the entire student body to know my language of my program 
and actually the the flow and framework of it so that even though you don't go through my program, if you run into one of my students, you have enough education about it so that it becomes, you know, the culture and the climate of the building changes as the groups continue to grow, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something which I find more and more these days, and it's the power of that kind of peer-to-peer understanding and teaching, that the fact that just having something very close by that you can see has made an effect or a learning experience where you can see them growing when you're the same age or, or, or close in age and you see that happening, you really just think, I could do that because I'm actually witnessing it doing it. it. It's not just it's not just that you would have the opportunity because you were being coached, but you can see it happening around you. And I think that's incredibly powerful. Yes, yes, it is. It is. Peer-to-peer is big because they already, I, you know, I, I'm good at what I do, so they'll buy in when I do it. But when you have a classmate that's sitting in there with you who's gone through the process. But you know what's even better is the recruiting. So so when the original 30 come in, they're picked, some of them. But by the time I get to the second and third group, the kids that have come in now go to their friends. So it is peer-to-peer. So they'll go to one of their friends and they'll say, hey, listen, I just, the name of my program is called Power of Peace. And so they'll they'll go out to a friend and say, listen, I just did this two-day program power of peace. And the coolest thing is you can never explain what happens in my room. So like when I go to people to talk about it, I make them see a video first of the program and progress because the experience can never be put into words. So the kids go out to their friends and they're like, I can't explain it to you. You just got to go. And I love when a kid is in my group and I'm looking at them and they got this really strange look on their face. (laughs) And I'm like, what's the matter? And they'll say, Now I know what they're talking about Mm. because now they're feeling what their friend told them that they were going to feel by coming to the experience. So that peer to peer, you know, really builds my credibility um, and it starts to create an energy where, you know, it gets to the point where recruiting is not really an issue because kids are coming to volunteer on their own. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And And I think the key thing there is the fact that they feel it. And so much of what gets taught in schools is thought processes and systems and knowledge and all of that kind of stuff. And it's only when you feel it and you relate to it and you understand it from that really in the heart of you that it it just transforms you, like you say, just in that moment. Yes, yes. That's definitely a transformative experience. So let's talk about your ex- your personal experience in term in terms of schooling as well i can really understand the impact that you've been making from what you've what you said but just thinking back to your your education was there a teacher that you remember was there a school experience which which had an, an impact on you and i guess this could be positive or ne- or negative but something which really stands out yeah you know what's 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 strange is um i didn't realize it until i got knee deep in what i do And what it was is because I noticed it in kids. So I can identify a kid and even an adult because I've come through something. It's, it's almost like we, we give off not to be discussing a scent because we've come through a struggle. Now I say that because coming through school, I never told my story. I was very good at hiding what was going on in my home, but there was a few teachers that would pull me under. 
You know, they would pull me under and they would give me extra attention, which was never to the point where students thought I was being a pet. But there was a little bit more of a nurturing than other teachers gave me. And um, to believe it or not, the ones that they the ones that did that to me follow me on social media and they love what I do. And, and I've been able to go back and explain and express to them my gratitude of what they were able to do for me. And it, it's, it's almost like the catalyst of paying it forward. I give it to other kids because it was given to me. So there was quite a few. But also what I did as, a, as I was growing up, I was really creative. And what I did is I was an elite athlete. I was good in all sports. And what I did, even though I came from a dysfunctional home, I created a traditional family with with people outside my home. So my coaches and my teachers, like you said, became my my, my parental father-like or mother-like figures. My teammates became my brothers and sisters. Um, and then the accolades that I got from the success of the sport became that positive reinforcement that a parent would give you in a traditional family. So with that support, it allowed me to, to go through life to the point where if I had to walk you back, I don't re really remember a struggle because I kind of floated through the madness in a traditional like family until I got out of it far enough where I was doing it for myself. And so, yeah, I do thank those people that were put in my path on my journey. So I guess almost innately you understood that you had control because you created this world from what you had around you. And, and luckily within that school environment, it was all there. It's just a question of pulling it all together. Right, right. And that's where my passion lies, because I know when I get a high school student, you know, and I work with middle schoolers as well, when I get them to understand that process, if you know, what, what, what I'm big on is, is I remember falling asleep in my condemned house. My house was atrocious. It was crazy, Mark. But I fell asleep one night and I was crying and I promised myself that when I grew up and I had my own kids, my kids wouldn't have to live the life that I was living at the time. I was about 10 years old. I say that to you because I preach it and I tell it to all my students I deal with is that life is about breaking cycles. So what you want to do is if you don't like what you're living in at the time, put in the work and do what you have to do. So see, for me, sometimes when I felt like I was running out of the energy, my unborn children became the catalyst of my push. And the beauty of this story is the fact that I graduated to a better life, but my kids only know the life that I graduated to. Mm. And and I think it's an important factor there, the, the thing you said about putting in the work and all of that, because there are two elements to most of these things aren't there there's the understanding and the emotion and the feeling and the hope of what it is that you want your life to be like but there is a way of from a to z as it were and that does involve a certain amount of you taking control and being part of that and just explain a little bit about what that work is in in, in that journey you know what what it is 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 you 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 said it and it's hope and, and, you know, the scariest thing, if you want to see something scary, meet a teenager that's lost all hope. I mean, it is, and I've seen it in rare form, and that is one dangerous individual. Because what they're willing to do 
it will, will blow your mind. And so hope is something that I want to instill. And the way that you instill it and that way that I do it in my groups is that's why I tell my story, but I don't leave them on a cliff about my childhood. I show them, you know what I'm saying, where I'm at now. And through the two-day process, every opportunity that I have, I, I drop a little nugget and a jewel so they, they see it firsthand. So I'm, they're sitting in a room with a guy for two full days who was once lived in this horrific house. And then they're looking at me to where I dress. And, you know, the second day they see the car that I pull up in. And they say to themselves, if he can do it, then I can do it. And then it just becomes, yeah, you know, and that's that's and that's where, you know, I, I feel bad for other people that create programs that are not me because they don't get the same traction. I mean, it's, I'm sorry to say, but they don't. But my program works because I'm a living example of if you stay with it and you do what you need to do, I'm a living example that you can have what you want. What, what was the best piece of advice you were ever given? And can you remember who gave it to you? You know, um, what was the best advice? You know, I don't think it was given to me. It was when you say that I, I kind of had the built in, the built in drive is, um, you know, I wrote it in my book and I, and I, and you'll, you'll see it several times. We have the choice of being ordinary or extraordinary. And I learned at a very young age that ordinary was just not good enough for me. You know, I think it started um, when I was eight. I got my first most valuable player trophy. And so it's my first sport. Everybody's lining up for trophies. And then they say, and now Michael Arterbury will get the MVP trophy. And I realized that if you are the best of the best, you get an extra trophy. And that stayed with me all of my life. I'm not conceited. I'm not full of myself. But I always want to be separate from the pack. I don't want you to be able to compare me to somebody else. I want to be in a place and in a zone on my own. And so, you know, I teach that to young people. You want to be unique. You don't want someone to be able to say, oh, that's Jimmy like Bill. No, you want them to say, you know, that's Jimmy and put Jimmy on a, a shelf by himself. Yeah, it's incredibly powerful, that, isn't it? And I think, like you said, being able to see that whole journey just really, really makes that, that come to life. And just to finish off, is there a resource which has had a big impact on your life? And that could be a, a podcast, a book, a, a film, a video, and anything that, that just is something which is your sort of go-to thing it just gives you that sense of of belief and a continuing sense of hope despite what's going on in your life you know i purposely when i'm looking for uh you know i, I I'm, I'm on the move so much reading is it's i love to read but I, I just don't have the time so i end up watching movies and documentaries but i always love a movie or a documentary where there's a hero you know a person that starts like me with nothing and is able to build to get something. You know, some of my favorite movies, um, Coach Carter, it's about a basketball coach who ends up coaching in the ghettos of, um, I forgot where it was, but he took this team and, you know, they, they were a bunch of misfits. They, they didn't want to go to school. It was in the ghettos of this place. So they were mostly African-American. 
And, you know, they went from being just kids off the streets. And he says at the end, they became men. You know, another movie is Gridiron Gang. And it's a movie about a guy that was um, working in a detention center. And he decided that football was a good um, way for these guys to get out their energy. And he created a football team in a detention center. And, you know, he took hardened criminals and had them buy into family as a football team and, and, and again, be able to take that and build and, and make themselves successful. So anything that's embedded and entrenched and a person surviving and being able to overcome things in their lives, I love it. I'm drawn to it um, because it just resonates with me. Yeah, and, and and just along those lines, one thing that just struck me, I recently watched The Last Stand on Netflix, the, the series about Michael Jordan. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that, yes. And and, and I, I, I loved it. I mean, I, I'm not a massive basketball person. It wasn't something I knew an awful lot about, apart from the name and, and the sort of the, the fame, as it were, and the personality. But that journey of kind of, yes, and an amazing amount of an innate ability, but that's the starting point. The rest of it's about the work and and how you pull people around and the standards that you instill and then having to deal with all the things like the press and the stuff that he had to do to, to build the world around him that enabled him to be so successful. And, and I find that such an incredible um, 10 episodes that just completely sucked me in because I just wanted to know all those little things that made all of those people on that team just so fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was it was intriguing. It was intriguing, you know, and, and, and what it does is you think, you know, I, I, I do a motivational talk with um, athletes and I talk about, uh, I call it the edge. And what I mean by that is that once you understand the, the, the mind starts first and the body will follow. And so like you'll see a basketball player um, like a Jordan and a few of the other famous guys, they'll shoot a shot. And then they'll run down the court. So they'll shoot it and they'll run, not even looking to see if it goes in. And I explained to the athletes, the reason why that guy can do that is because he shot that shot over a thousand times. So when it releases from his fingers, he, he's a thousand times he's felt it. So he knows when that thing releases mm. from his fingers, it's going in. And so when you watch that documentary and you watch him work, you know, life is about that. It's about preparation. And the more pre prepared you are, you know, your success is, is in an, uh, inevitable. And I think that really sums up something that you said before. That's the difference between hope and 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 wishful thinking. You know, you know, yes, I, I hope it can be like this. I really want it to be. But you don't know the final outcome. You know that you've put the preparation in. You know you've done the work and you've done everything you can be and the rest you have to stand back. But th that's the difference between that and just I really hope, th I really sort of wish that this is going to be the case because that is, it's a million miles apart, I think. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, a, a dream is not a dream until you put it on paper. Yeah. You got to write it down. If it stays in your head, it's it, it's no good. You put it on paper and now it has to come to life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you spending the time, and, and it's so inspirational hearing your story, but also how you're impacting on so many so many other youngsters as well. And, and so tell us a bit more about where they, we can find out more information and, and the book and how we can um, connect with you in even more detail. Well, if it's for my public speaking, I want them to come to my uh, 
public speaking website, which is michaelarterberry.com, which is more specific to that. Um, as far as my nonprofit with the youth, I, my nonprofit is called Youth Voices Center. So they can come to youthvoicescenter.org, and that's for my program, which is called Power of Peace. The book they can get on Amazon, um, there's a book called Be Encouraged, and then there's another book that my wife wrote about my life story called God Was Holding My Hand, which both can be purchased on um, Amazon. And um, I'm right now finishing the touches on an online course, um, which I call Shake the Dirt, Shake the Dirt Experience, which I will be launching it within the next couple of weeks. Um, and what I'll do is if I launch it by the time the podcast is presented, um, we'll just put a link at the bottom of the podcast so they can go and, and be able to sign up for the course. Fantastic. And yeah, we'll, we'll have links to all of these things on the show notes. And I'm really glad you mentioned the, the option of the, of, of the online course because it really sounds like you're making such a difference in that one-to-one setting um, but to be able to suddenly have the option these days to make it global where anyone can just get that kind of wisdom, I, th- I think is a real gift. Yes, 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 it is. And and, and thanks to COVID, because if it wasn't for COVID, Mark, I wouldn't have thought of it. So I, I, there's something I can take out of this COVID, which is a positive. Yeah, I think so many people have had the time and, and the inspiration to, to look at their, their life and expand and move and, and just sort of just meander in, into whole new areas which i think um is is has been a, is a, a which has been a real positive in what is obviously a negative situation depending on on where you're looking at it so but michael it's been a real pleasure chatting to you and thank you again for your time and and to be able to share the online course and the book and everything with all the people listening yes yes thank you very much mark Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.